So I just want to uh, talk, and I felt led to talk tonight about the church, which is us, right? And uh, we're all here, and we're the church. This building isn't the church. We know that. It's a building that uh, keeps us warm. We're the church. Uh, It's a great building. We love it. It's a great resource, but it's not the church. We're the church. And um, I wonder, as evangelicals, we hold conversion in high regard, personal conversion, personal relationship, as we should. And I guess if we went to the other extreme, the Catholic Church would have a not so high view of the church, um, and some aspects of it maybe not such a high view of personal uh, relationship. Um, And I wonder if we're supposed to meet somewhere in the middle. It's it's very personal, our relationship with God. But should we have a higher view of the church? Not talking about high church in its uh, doctrine and practice, but a higher view of the church. Should we be making sure we're taking the church uh, seriously? I could could end about a 20-minute talk and tell you yes, uh, but I'm going to explain why I think it and why I've been led to it. I've been influenced, I've been, I always read Christian books, and there's one I'm reading in particular at the moment by a man called Francis Chan. I don't know if you read his books, he's a pastor in America. And he was kind of exploring this theme, and I wanted to bring some of that out uh, uh, this evening and felt God say that it'd be the right thing to do. I have a very high view of the church. Um, I believe it's God's agent, uh, a king, uh, an agent of his kingdom on earth now until Jesus returns Again, and therefore, there can't be any complacency or flippancy when it comes to the church. The church is important. You are important, and collectively, we're really important. Uh, we're important enough that God died for us, uh, but also we have a mission to tell others he did the same. And the task is too great not to take the church seriously, uh, to come and worship God, particularly in freedom, like we've just done, is incredible. But I do believe the church, and it has already, can change the world. And, um, and that's you, that's you and I, we're the church. And, and we've got to get away from this kind of take-it-or-leave-it theology or, or, you know, I didn't like it today. You didn't like what? The people, the service, the music, the lighting, the sound system? You know, what don't we like? We're about, we're about the people of God, the church. And we've got to remove, if, if you like, sometimes that heart of stone where we can really see what's wrong in the church, but not what's right. And I want to talk about that um, now. So the context uh, in which we live in the world is one, really, of human uh, self-centeredness. People think of themselves first. We're called to be different. We're called to think of others first. A lot of people in the world, and sometimes they'll say at the church, see themselves as the highest authority. Their opinion counts, and nobody else does. But as Christians, God is our highest authority. We might think we have rights, uh, but what about God? What about his rights? What about the things he deserves for who he is? He is God. And even within the church, we can act sometimes as though God's purposes or his intention should actually revolve around me or revolve around you. I want to get what I want out of the church, out of the people. It's got to fit what I want. And in the Bible, there are accounts that show that there exists something more than just my existence or your existence and my rights and your rights. Things that I need to see, uh, that I need to see God's hands and ways rather than uh, maybe my own and what I think is good. I need to see what God is saying and his presence in the church. There are things that belong to God and they are sacred things. And I want to talk tonight about the church as being sacred, taking the church seriously. Um, There's many stories in the Bible, I've got some here. The Ark of the Covenant in 2 Samuel 6. Uzzah dies because he touched the Ark to keep it from falling after God said not to touch it. 
If you think about that, I think it was on a pothole or something, so it stumbled, and he, he kind of just didn't want the Ark of the Covenant. It's a good thing he was doing. But he went against God's word, and he, was, he died because of it. Sounds a bit harsh to me. King Saul's sacrifice cost him the kingdom, 1 Samuel 13. I mean, he waited seven days for Samuel the priest to come and make the offering, but he hadn't shown up. So Saul makes the offering because he didn't want to go to war without first acknowledging God. Seems like a perfectly reasonable thing to do. The result was, because he disobeyed, the kingdom was taken from him. Or in Moses, I feel sorry for Moses. You know, Numbers 20, he didn't see the promised land because he struck the rock rather than spoke to it. After everything he'd been through, you're not going to see the promised land now. That seems a little bit harsh to me. Or Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, both struck dead because they lied how much money they gave. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11.30 that many of them were sick. Some of them even died because they didn't take communion seriously enough. Am I really a sip away from death? Because sometimes I've not taken it seriously enough. It seems to me, and probably to you, that the punishment, and there's loads of examples I can pick, was too much for the crime. Why do I feel that way? Why do you probably sit in there feeling that way as well? Because we think we're the high authority. We think we know better than God. We can say it isn't fair, but we've maybe lost the idea of what it means for something to be sacred, something that is God's. There are things that belong to God and they're sacred. It was his Ark of the Covenant. It's his command to Moses. It's his offerings to the temple. It's his Holy Spirit. It's his Holy Communion and it's his sacred church. And in the examples, people rushed into something thinking they know better and they rushed into things that were very sacred that they needed to take their time on and they paid the price. And that is scary. But rather than be surprised, I've got to be humbled. And so have you, because I've done worse, and so have you. There's many times I've rushed into things, thought my way was better. We can all thank God that his mercy and grace supersedes what we do. He's he's paid for it on the cross, and thank God that he has, and we receive his mercy, grace, and forgiveness. But I've been challenged, and we must tread carefully when it comes to that which is sacred and holy. People are rushing everywhere. Do you notice that? I can't remember who it was. Andrew might remember. You don't have to call out. There was someone a few years ago we were speaking, she was speaking to, uh, was on holiday. I think they were a truck driver or something. And he said, it's really noticeable when I come to the southeast. You all walk quicker. You walk quicker than the rest of the, uh, rest of the country. He said, I notice it. You're all so busy. You're rushing around. You're not taking time for anything. Our young people, and dare I say it, some of our adults as well, speaking more quickly. I had my appraisal... Uh, little while ago and one of the comments was Ian you've got to slow down in your preaching especially when you're enthusiastic which which I've tried to do Um, but our young people but some adults as well try and speak quickly they can clamber for attention trying to get the word in we've even got this art now haven't we we've got words that are abbreviated so we can fit more into a smaller space of time this is nothing new we see I mean obviously it's new on text language now I mean I'm a bit of a grammar freak the only subject I was good at uh, at school uh, was English and so I can't stand abbreviated text, but I find myself doing it sometimes. Easier to write a letter U than Y-O-U and stuff like that. But it's nothing new. Do you remember when I, was at, um, when I was at school, you know, you could say, hi, how are you? School I went to, no one said that. Um, it was watcher. Remember that? Watcher. Do you remember that? That got shortened to cha, because we couldn't be bothered to say watcher. So it's nothing new. 
this is happening all the time. The world speaks quickly and loudly and it's rushed and we can miss what's important. We can be called up in what it is to be frantic. But when it comes to the sacred, we have to pause and we must slow down. And we have to, as those examples I told you, proceed with caution and take God seriously and take his, take his sacredness seriously. Many other people, they can judge God's ways. They can say we're wrong. They can say the commands are dated. They speak his name flippantly in various contexts which are not honouring to him. Not us. We don't want to be careless. We don't want to be careless. I don't want to question him. I don't want to question his action or his lack of action in a certain situation. I can pray. I can offer it to him. But he is God. I want to be careful when I speak his name. I want to be careful when I speak in his name. Instead, we pray, not like the world, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. It's to be honoured. God's name is to be honoured. Rather than rush in with my demands and my opinion and tell God what he should be doing, I need to be approached him with childlike tenderness that belongs to a reverent father. So let's not rush into the sacred. Uh, Let's approach it with humility and reverence. And tonight I want to speak about us, the church, something that is really sacred, something that sometimes we can rush into. Just look at the busyness of a Sunday morning or even Sunday evening sometimes. Kind of rush in and sit down and have a chat and everything else. But it's sacred. This is a sacred time. It's a place where it's easy, the church, to fall into the trap of, well, I know best or what do I want from this? And I can treat it flippantly. Maybe if I don't get my way, I'll just cast the church aside, something that's sacred. But the church was God's plan. And it's a sacred thing. A sacred thing that probably myself and you have abused at some point. Maybe I've thought that I know best or you know best. Or my way is the way. The only way. And when it doesn't fit with what I want or need, then I'm free to turn against it or its leaders, or its congregation, and I will make my opinions known. And I carry on with a heart that is heavy, because I'm aware, when I was preparing this, of my own shortcomings, both in the past and even even recently. Over the years, I've taken and learnt to take a much higher view of the church, and that it's God's plan, it's God's purpose and plan. Of course, we get things wrong sometimes. But I've got a much higher view of the church, but I know that I can also take the church for granted. And in that, I repent, I ask for forgiveness, and I'm cleansed. I don't want to take the church lightly, and neither should you. It's an incredible privilege, and I consider it an honour in my role, but it's an incredible privilege, regardless of that, to be part of God's church, part of God's family. And you know, the Bible says that you, personally, if you're a Christian, are a part of the body of Christ. You just let that sink in. You are a part of the body of Christ. Somehow you're joined together and you are the body of Christ. That's incredible, isn't it? You are the body of Christ. Ephesians 5, 29, 30 says, No one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. We're members of Christ's body. Talking in the context of a man being united to his wife and the two becoming one, Paul writes in verse 32... Uh, Ephesians 5. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And he took, puts it in that wedding context. So when a, a man and a woman come together, they, they are now one. He's now saying, actually, I'm talking, it's a mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church, that we are one. 
We are Christ. We are the body of Christ. It's incredible. Christ and his church, us together, with Christ, are one. It's got to be sacred. It's a sacred truth. It's a sacred privilege. So we can't be flippant about it. This is a sacred gathering. In 2 Chronicles 7 is a dedication of the temple. It says, When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Now just imagine for a second that you were there. You know, the fire's coming down from heaven. God's glory is filling the temple. Your heart would be pounding. You wouldn't be told whether to sit or stand. You're on your knees because the presence of God is overwhelming. Everybody falls to their knees and you're worshipping so naturally with everybody else because it's the obvious and right thing to do because the glory of the Lord was in the temple. And in the New Testament, it, 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 Paul opens up something even more fantastic than that in Ephesians 2, 19 to 20. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises. So he's talking about the people of God now, and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So we've got the Old Testament theology of the building, the temple, and God's presence. But now we are being built into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So when we gather as Christians, as church, it's a sacred time and a sacred gathering. God, he uses that gathering to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Isn't that an amazing truth? That's incredible. God lives among us by his spirit. And we are now the New Testament temple theology. You're the temple. That's amazing. We now have something that is really good. It's sacred, but in our busyness, we can rush. We can let that reality pass us by and not see it for what it is. You are literally now part of the temple itself. You now join others to form a dwelling place for God to be among us. Peter describes this in 1 Peter 2 verse 5 as living stones. You're a stone. I mean, you've probably been called worse. I have. But you're a stone. We're all connected. You're a stone, and so are all these people around you. A stone in the same structure in which the apostles and prophets are the foundation. Jesus himself is the cornerstone. He's the one holding it all together. We're all joined together to form one house for God. Somehow, in God's great plan, I'm a block, and so are you, of a temple that transcends time and space. And because the structure is a temple, it means that God makes his home among us. Incredible. Incredible. Paul explains the mystery to the Corinthians, and, and with it, a warning. And it made me shudder. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 17. Don't you know that you yourselves, you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys the temple, 
God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Think back to the scene that I spoke about earlier. The fire comes down, the presence of the Lord is there. He fills uh, God's temple. Their response was a natural one of worship. They're awestruck, they fall to their knees. It was sacred. And what if I were there at the time? I wonder whether I would have laughed at what was going on. Maybe I'd be a mocker or a scoffer. Would I have taken a tool, maybe an axe or something similar, and struck the temple to damage it? Maybe destroy it? Can you imagine what, what God would have done to me if I'd done that? Of course I wouldn't. I wouldn't have done it. There was only one response, to honour the temple, to worship God, to fall to my knees. And of course you wouldn't have destroyed the temple either. But if the temple now is the people of God, if the church, the people of God, are now the temple, which is what Paul says, it's the body of Christ then why are there people in churches who are so quick to gossip, to slander, whether it's the leadership or the congregation, to frequently spill it of the church, to divide, to split, to look for the bad and not celebrate the good? Why do they seek to destroy the temple? By way of illustration, I don't get to preach elsewhere that much anymore because my responsibility is here and I know my core and it's here. But when I do... Almost without exception, I'm sad to say, there will be members that come up to me, normally about three or four, and they'll tell me everything that's wrong with their church. And it's so disheartening, because straight away I think of our church here, and I think, I wonder if we get a visiting preacher, people are going up to them saying, these are all the things that are wrong with our church. I don't know if they are or not, it doesn't come back to me if they are, I haven't heard that. But how disheartening is that? They're actually coming, they might as well take the axe or the spade, or the whatever it is, chisel, and go to the temple wall and knock it down. Because that's what they're doing when they're bad-mouthing the church. I'm not about constructive criticism, um, or, you know, Ian, I think we could have done this better, how about that? I'm not worried about that stuff. I'm not about consistently coming against the church, the people of God, which the Bible says is God's temple. Paul said that God's temple is sacred. Every time someone speaks evil against the church, or a member of the church, it's like they grab their tools intent on destroying the temple. And Paul says, and it has to echo in your mind, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. And so I guess I need to be careful not to rush, and so do you, into our opinions and self-gratification. We need to seek the sacred in us as church. With all our diversity, when you get diversity, there's different opinions. And it's okay. Um, we live in a free world we live in a free country and often we say we love that we love freedom of speech as long as you agree with me we don't like it when someone has freedom of speech and disagrees but let's not rush into those opinions and self-gratification let's seek the sacred in us together as church let's hold church in a high regard because it is the temple of God it is the body of Christ let's prepare our hearts when we come and worship let's treat the word of God as sacred and each other as worthy We need to be really careful with our words and action. We're dealing with something sacred. And I want to stay on the right side of God's protection. Maybe this is why Paul said, Titus chapter 3, verse 10, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. We're not to provide an environment that enables division. God hates that sin just too much. His temple is too sacred. 
And I believe he's removed from us some who have done just that in the past. Our culture is quick to evaluate everything, whether it's your Uber journey, you can give instant feedback. Whether someone puts a picture on Facebook or Instagram, you can like or dislike. Pictures on social media. Instant evaluation. And I guess sometimes that might happen after church. You might go, they say this, don't they? You go home for your dinner after church and you have roast preacher. <laughs> Ever heard that? We don't do that in my house, it's not allowed. Let's not bring that attitude into the church that we miss the incredible mystery that God's given us, each other, that we're part of God's body. Let's not have our quick thinking, rush judgments, critiquing the leadership or the music or the programs, the initiatives, whatever floats our boat on a given day. Let's not carry those tools and go in with an intent to destroy the temple. Remember that the temple was the location where God chose to offer his presence and the fire fell down. We asked for the fire to fall earlier. We sung it. It happened elsewhere, didn't it? Later on in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, the church is born, the disciples reunited and praying and tongues of fire fell on them. They were now the temple, and now so are you. And I love, I really do, I love our services. I love our church. I love it. But I remember it's God's. And it's God's got his plans and purposes for us. I love the lighting. I love the sound system. I love the ambience. I love the leaders. I love the congregation. But the most important thing is that we recognise that we are the temple of God in which God chooses to dwell by his spirit. That's the most important thing. And please don't dare stand against the body of Christ. Serve him in his church. Let's be a people that are excited about that. It's such an awesome privilege. The church is sacred, and we should have a higher view of it. I mean, when God removes his church from this earth, it will literally fall to pieces. I think the church is helping hold the world together. Let's not cheapen her, and let's not take it for granted. I'm going to pray for us and uh, Roger and Sally and the team will come up and lead us in some response. Lord, I thank you that the church was your idea. We recognise, Lord, we're not perfect. One day we will be, but we're not yet. But we are on that road with our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I pray, Lord, that as head of this church, you'd continue to guide us and that we take each other seriously. We take our gatherings together seriously. I pray, Lord, we'll be a people that build one another up, not tear each other down. I pray, Lord, that we'll speak well of the church to outsiders, that we'll look for the good rather than seek out the bad. I pray, Lord, we'd have a spirit of unity, but also of openness and honesty. And when when things do need to be challenged, they're done in a loving way. I pray, Lord, that we won't be a people that condemn, that there are people full of grace, love and mercy that encourages each other and that we wouldn't give up the habit of meeting together because we are your church. And we thank you, Lord, that you hold us together. In Jesus' name, amen.